Hey everybody, Dave Hodges here, host of the Common Sense Show. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a privilege, pleasure to come before you. And uh, we are asked that you take these broadcasts, which you can achieve, uh, basically um, get a hold of digitally and share it. We, um, I'm telling you guys, time is really, really of the essence here. America's waking up, but the left is moving quickly to counter. And we're going to be uh, speaking on our part two interview uh, with Susan Bradford. She was on, and we had technical issues. Surprise, surprise. I interviewed Sam Arnold, and we had technical issues again. And by the way, one was radio, one was TV. We're not talking faulty equipment here. All our equipment can't be faulty at the same time. And we had a nice little power outage at the house yesterday when I live in rural Arizona. And it felt like a roving blackout, middle of day kind of stuff. It's just bizarre what's been going on with us. But we think we're hitting home runs. And we're going to hit another one here with Susan today. This particular part of the program is brought to you by Noble Gold. And you need to do what I did if you have assets to protect. You absolutely need to talk to Noble Gold. No pressure, no obligation. They'll give you free information. They'll send you whatever you want. But they will not push you into a deal. They just want to inform you, and you have to push them to close the deal. How do you get a hold of them? 877-646-5347. 877-646-5347. And tell them Dave Hodges sent you, and they go, oh, yeah, we know him. He's our client. So make sure you do that today because hyperinflation could hit at any time, and I mean any time, especially if we pass any of these pending bills in D.C., That'll thrust, well, the $1.5 trillion bill is estimated to be about four in reality. This will kill the economy, folks. You don't have a long time to act. So I would suggest you do it today. Well, we were talking with uh, Susan Bradford in our part one interview, and we were talking in advance of the election result. And now we have, uh, well, let's put it this way. We have some earth-shattering developments America has spoken across the nation, and there's a populist uprising right now that has new allies. Now, some of these people don't even know they're part of our uprising. They just don't want their kids messed with. But they were, a lot of them, soccer moms, SUVs, suburbanite females that hated Donald Trump, and now they're going against his opposition. I'm not saying they're for Trump, but they're going against his opposition. And the Democrats are in a sheer panic right now. Absolute panic. They're freaking out. You've seen the mainstream media. Could you have any more ridiculous explanations? Virginia, a return to racism. Jim Crow. Well, the lieutenant governor, did they happen to open their eyes? She's black. And she's an immigrant. Legal immigrant, by the way. Uh, these people are crazy. And they are just absolutely losing it. And to put some perspective on this is Susan. Susan, thanks for joining us. And uh, we, we've had an interesting 48 hours, haven't we? Yeah, we, we definitely have. And thank you so much for, for having me back. Yeah, it has been very interesting. And, and I also saw that um, Biden is blaming um, the disappointment with the COVID and the gas prices on, on the election in Virginia. He's not taking any responsibility or viewing you know, this new upsurge in populism to um, a rejection of his ideas. Well, if he's blaming gas prices, wait a minute, he's the cause of the gas prices. We went from a completely independent energy nation to dependent, and gas has gone up tremendously under his leadership, and he's saying it's gas and not him? 
gas and COVID, and, and I think, well, the gas is the price you have to pay for um, green energy, I guess, hmm. to meet their, uh, their, their targets. Which tells you if we let them complete their so-called new green deal, um, we are going to be really behind the eight ball. I think it's going to go up to about, is it like $140 per barrel within oh a year? So. What's that translate into gasoline price per gallon, do you know? I do not know. I think it's up by 20%, if I'm not mistaken. Now, what I'm saying is, you know, gas is Maybe approaching $5. Yeah, but I mean, is that, is that a $7 gallon of gas figure? Is that $10? What do you think? Um, I mean, it's about seven in California now. Um, it, it's um, about three, three fifty here in Virginia. Um, maybe about four, four fifty. I mean, it would be like a dollar, dollar and a half. Wow. Higher than what it is now. In a wounded economy, that's a crushing blow. Rampant inflation, and depressed wages. Yeah, exactly. Wow, pretty amazing. So um, where does this lead now? Now we have America that says, we're coming for you, 2022, you better watch out. And I, I see this momentum growing because people are just waking up. I think people are, are fed up and um, they're really being uh, pushed into a corner. You know, they're being told to either you know, take the vac vaccination or lose their jobs. Um, I know that they're penalizing college students who are rejecting the vaccine. Some are you know, ha uh, being forced to, you know, to pay um, some type of penalty, um, and monetary penalty for rejecting the vaccine. Um, and, you know, we're losing our, our police force, um, health care workers, you know, over, you know, their, their efforts to, to impose this. So um, I, I think they're, they're actually trying to force the economy into some type of free fall. Or maybe they're, they're trying to break Americans, break our will. Um, in healthcare, I would agree. I would totally agree with you. In healthcare, I, I think honestly, we're looking at a situation that is, um, they're trying, trying to create an artificial shortage. And I think that's what they're doing across the board in critical um, occupations. They, um, well, all the healthcare people have not backed down to their mandates, except for one, and that's Dignity Healthcare at the Yavapai County Regional Medical Center. They're the only one out of, I think it's like 170 in the country. And the reason I found out yesterday that they have backed down and, and relaxed their mandate until February is because the county owns the land that they're on and the public is inflamed at the county supervisors and they're trying to buy time to let the county supervisors fix the problem. That's interesting. And th there's also an, another component to this, which pe many people don't talk about, and that's that um, um, Obama's health care, Obamacare, actually banked, uh, bankrupted the individual he health care pr providers, their insurance companies. So uh, by the end of his term, you know, you had Blue Cross and Blue Shield were, were desperate for money. Um, you know, he bankrupted the exchanges, um, and so I, I think um, what they've turned healthcare into is a, a market for pharmaceutical products for, for selling medicines. 
So patients have reported going to see their doctors and they're told to, you know, to give the symptoms of what they have and then the doctors will write out a, a prescription for them. Um, and they're also looking into um, some type of remote health care where you merely you know, meet your doctor over um, a, a smartphone or a computer yeah, exactly. to assess your symptoms. They, you know, they provide you with, you know, so the health care is completely demolished. Hmm. Uh, I didn't see that as being a big deal, but now that you mentioned it, what they're saying is we don't have the ability to see all of you, so now you have to call us. Is that what we're seeing? I think it's you're looking at a, a way to reduce costs. Hmm. And so you may not even be be talking to um, a doctor. You could be talking to a healthcare assistant or somebody else who might not have the same level of you know, same qualifications. Interesting. I have um, I get these uh, shots, and they're important to me twice a month um, in the Banner Healthcare System, which is the largest employer in Arizona, monolithic. Um, medical establishment and I asked this question Susan I because they're mm -hmm. they're facing the termination of probably about 40 percent of their working force and I said has there been any discussion about continuity of treatment for patients with all the shortages that could come is there concern about the patients and I got told um, by someone who would be in a position to know no no discussion formally about how they're going to handle continuity of treatment so what, what do you take from that, that, that there's a lack of concern or that they, they don't have the means to, um, to help the patient or, or to ensure continuity of care? Both. I see it, I, I see it definitely as, as both, Susan. I think, I think at the end of the day, it's about the profits. They're not here for the patients. And uh, I'm really, really upset by this. And, and um, they are granting some exemptions but, you know, and I'll go back to Yavapai County here in Arizona, which is the Prescott area. Um, it's so bizarre what these people do. They have exactly word for word religious exemptions for husband and wife. And they take the husband, but not the wife. But the husband has the more critical medical position. Word for word, word for word, religious exemption. Wow. You know, they go to the same church, have the same beliefs. And um, they grant one and not the other. You got to think that's, Why do you think that that's is? actionable and legal. Well, I think they're just they're going to who they can not do without and who they can do without. That's the thinking so of the people. So they're thinking who will who will live and who will die. Is that where you're going with that? No, no. I'm I'm saying let let's say the the the. Because I don't want to give away identities at this point because these people are being persecuted as well by their superiors. Mm -hmm. But let's say, I'll just make up profession. So if you're listening in, uh, hospital administrators, I'm making this up for point of illustration. Let's say you have a critical care doctor and his specialty is rare. And you have a nurse who's his spouse and she's a general RN. A lot easier to replace the RN than it is the critical doctor, critical care doctor. Mm -hmm. That's true. And, and so, the, and I'm just using these specialties as examples, not specific to two people, but I am describing a actively three cases like this. And they won't take them long to figure out, oh, gee, okay, because they'll, they'll know who's married and who's not. But anyway, 
they uh, they're taking one exemption for religious word for word over another, and it seems to be based on the rarity and the specialization of the person medically. Who can't they replace? And um, they've done a strategic withdrawal, like I said, to February. And the thinking on the part of the nurses and doctors that I've talked to, and a couple of them actually agreed to come on my show next week, but uh, they are saying that they believe that their value is being ascertained as far as replaceability, and then that will make the final decision on who they let go and who they keep. I believe that. They are bringing in many um, you know, foreign healthcare workers you know, who can replace Americans who, you know, do not, who wish to have like a medical or religious exemption. Yeah, I know. They are replaceable. Um, how do you think we stop this? Is there any way to stop it? Um, I, I don't believe that they have the legal authority or um, to do what they're doing. And so they're, they're doing it because they can and they're trying to in, impose their will. Um, I think that we need to um, educate the people and then the people will have to um, lobby their own governments, like to impress upon them their their will of what what they want to see happen. So I think too many people now are are not active in the political process. I think they feel disenfranchised. Um, they feel it's it, it's very difficult to know truth from fiction. And I think that they're not participating. And that the our you know our elected officials um, do do what you know what they want to do or, or what special interests. Um, you know, kind of dictate to them. So I think we need to take our power back as people, um, and you know, hold our elected elected officials accountable. Yeah, it's so hard to I get th- people organized along that line. Um, I mean, I'll give you an example. I'm talking about the county clerk and recorder in Yavapai County. Um, she's in a county that's the most conservative county in America. I don't mean Arizona. I mean America. And uh, they, this woman has already reordered Dominion voting machines or you must vote by ballot. Mm-hmm. And this is in a conservative county. And it's incredible. They feel that thousands of votes were siphoned off by her and her colleagues. And um, I, I don't, you know, it's, it's hard getting these people mobilized. They, I, I was talking to one of their leaders last night and they said, well, we've got someone to run against her. And I go, you can't wait that long. She goes, what do you mean? I said, you need to recall her. And you need to do it. You know, file the paperwork before the end of the year. And I don't so think why? you need to said, mobilize everybody. Uh, just a, a small percentage who can be active and effective. Yeah. I mean, and taking out your county clerk and recorder in a conservative community where she's clearly compromised on behalf of Soros and the communist Chinese... Uh, to me, that's a priority. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I'm speaking to this group um, coming up here in a couple of weeks, and I'm really going to make this point. Um, I don't think, if, if you have the ability to recall someone who's in a key position that can influence an election, you got to get rid of them now. I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I, I don't feel that they can wait. Because the other thing is, is if they're, the election's corrupt and they have control, they're going to make sure they get reelected. Well, that's true. I, mean, I, 
um, at the end of the day, we are going to have to maybe um, rebuild our, our government, you know, from from the ground up because I think every lo- every layer of government right now is is corrupt. And if you remove one corrupt candidate, another corrupt candidate will replace that person. So you've got a really a systemic um, issue here. It's, you know, the corruption. And that's why know, they call throughout. it the deep state. Correct. That's correct. It's, the corruption goes deep. Sure. How do you stop it? Is there is there an answer to this? Um. I think there have been that efforts. Um, you know, some have have said have tried to um, advocate, and I'm, I'm not an expert in this. I'm not an attorney, but they've advocated um, returning to common law. Um, and there is the belief that um, the, Mer- the United States is a corporation, and that um, each one of us is uh, falls under corporate law because we are deemed a corporation by virtue of our, our birth certificates. Um, and so the, the way that you would, you know, get out of the matrix or get out of this corrupt system is by restoring your sovereign identity um, through common law. And then from that position, the corporate law would no longer apply to you because you would not fall, fall under their jurisdiction. So that is one aspect. And I know that there are people like um, Anna von Wrights who are working towards um, establishing state assemblies in which the governments are run by and for the people. So, I, I, you know, there are efforts, you know, being made to kind of re- reverse things. What's our method for doing that? I don't know if you have any thoughts about Anna Rice or if you're familiar with her. No, I'm sorry. I must have had a little cut out here. Uh, what is her method for doing um, control of the local government? So she, um, she has... Uh, organized, uh, I think, state assemblies, and then those assemblies um, fall under the uh, fall under the jurisdiction of common law, and they choose their own candidates, and they're trying to, I guess, create, uh, you know, to establish their their own laws, you know, to establish essentially a government um, run by the people for the people, and th- these are separate from you know the established government. Wow, it, it reminds me of Jefferson Davis and the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference? Well, I, I think, um, you know, I, I'm I'm not a, an expert on on what she's actually doing. Um, so you, you may want to interview her, you know, for the specifics. Well, wow, that is really interesting. Of, um, um, I, you know, that's going to go over like a, a lead balloon, though. You, you know. I, I, I question whether or not that kind of movement can get traction. Um, it's it's interesting. I'm almost thinking I could see them going after her legally. They they could. Um, I mean, she's been around for, for quite a while now, and um, I try to um, raise the issue of, of how the Rothschilds established the corrupt governments throughout the world, you know, the revolution and war, um, by way of usurping the divine right of kings. And, like, one thought was, you know, is to restore the divine right of kings. That doesn't mean to restore a monarchy, but to restore um, a leadership that essentially answers to uh, to God. I know that, that sounds very, um, you know, uh, almost supernatural or, or maybe like not like practical in today's kind of secular society but since the um, original uh, 
order of the world, like the original um, government structure, both na nationally and internationally, was done through the divine right. Um, by usurping that right, the, the Rothschilds have establ established corrupt and illegitimate governments around the world that are controlled through bribery, shame, you know, shame, I mean, you know, um, sex trafficking, drugs, and other, you know, other kind of personal matters of, of corruption. Um, and that the, in the process, you know, they, they have placed people into power who are completely controllable. So one thought on how to, um, you know, to clean up the government would, would be to clean it up from the very top. Um, and then from that position, the person at the top, you know, because you know that um, the culture of a society and even a government is determined from the top down. If you can restore integrity at the top, then that person or group of people can can then um, clean up government below them. And since most of these governments are uh, you know, purportedly illegitimate, um, they would have to be replaced. And I think one of them. Um, from what I've read, is, is the um, Israeli government. Uh, the the um, Israel was established originally under a um, a temple. It was to be led by a temple, but the Rothschilds violated the terms of the establishment to create um, and uh, a Knesset under their own control. So, you know, you restore the integrity to the government, um, and I think you can make a lot of you know positive changes. Well, let me ask you this uh, question along these lines. You're kind of almost alluding to this here with the, the temple issue, but the movement to collapse the Tenth Amendment, and what I'm talking about is after the Bush um, Al Gore election, George Soros kind of went a different, well, let's put it this way, the globalists went a different direction to control American elections, and they started uh, installing county clerk and recorders, county supervisors, prosecutors, so they'd have their own discretion to play games with elections. Um, mm -hmm. What's your feeling about that? Um, my feeling is that every every layer of government is, you know, is somehow politically compromised. Um, for example, um, when I was working on the Abramoff investigation, um, Abramoff was, you know, if you've, you can read my, you can read all the details in my book, Lynch, but he was uh, set up for uh, for criminal prosecution by powerful um, rivals who had a lot of political influence. So the evidence that um, that well, the, the activities of the culprits. Um, against him was actually um, attributed to him, even though he didn't do, you know, like in, and I'm talking about the um, the case in Florida where he was accused of bilking, um, hit, you know, the the owner of, of a ship, of a casino ship. The fraud was actually injected by um, attorneys affiliated with the bank of a competitor. Um, so the, the fraud was injected by them to implode the deal so that he would be left holding the bag um, for the fraud. Now, the... Um, the case was presided over by a judge who was appointed by the Clintons, um, who, with the firm that was behind the um, the fraud, working for the Clintons, like they were a leading Clinton fundraiser. The son of that judge, um, like once Abramoff was removed from the market, then was appointed uh, by the state to then establish a casino for the rival, like to give that uh, the Seminole Tribe of Florida a, a compact. Um, even though Abramoff uh, had pleaded innocent and 
uh, to the charges, you had a prosecutor, um, Alexander Acosta, who later became um, Trump's uh, Secretary of Labor, um, you know, pursue an indictment against him. Well, Alexander Acosta um, gave Epstein a sweet, sweetheart deal. You know, and if you, you look at the, the financial relationships behind these people, if they go along to get along, if they do what is required of them politically, they will realize um, strong like, polit uh, professional and political gains. Some of them will be appointed uh, to lucrative no-show corporate positions and so forth. So there, is, there's a lot, there are a lot of incentives for them to go along and decentive for them to buck the system. And I think like, you know, what I saw that the micro, microscopic, uh, you know, aspect of, of Florida, I think you'll, you'll find that, you know, throughout the government, um, you know, at, in every state, that there are relationships like that. <laughs> you know, all I got to say is, wow, <laughs> that's, that's fascinating because I think I'm seeing evidence of that. Uh, across the nation as well as in Arizona. Um, how do you explain the fact, and I'm asking a rhetorical question, that Wendy Rogers, who was really championing the audit, and I think mean, she was sincere, she was all over it, and then all of a sudden she starts not wanting to do major appearances. She's going on more minor media. I, I covered Steve Quayle's show, which is the number one digital TV show in America, and I could have interviewed her, taken clips from that, and put it on Steve's show. And she had the weakest excuse for not coming on. And then I found out that she's been put in charge of bringing crypto to Arizona. Would you read anything into that? Well, it sounds like she's a lady with a lot to hide, and I know that with with, with cryptocurrency, you know that is um, th that is being pushed by by the globalists uh, to make sure that they can tax every uh, dollar you make. Yeah, they want to, to track every every transaction to make sure that they can get their share. Well, you'll like who appointed her to this position, the head of the Arizona Fraudit, Karen Fan. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? So, small uh, world. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm telling you this. There are people I talk to that have drawn very strong conclusions about these Arizona politicians. It's like this other Arizona State Senator, Sonny Borelli, I mentioned to him before. Um, he sounds like Dave Hodges in June. Then, oh, now our investigation and the audit, it's not criminal. It's only civil. We just got to make sure nothing like this happens again. And now he's back to saying we should decertify the election. I mean, will the real Sonny Borelli please stand up? Uh, can you say controlled opposition? And and you're right. We believe that these people, some of them may not be getting anything for their trouble, but they're benefiting from being part of a corrupt system. Would you agree with that? Correct. Yes, I would agree. And and by going along, um, they can look forward to other you know professional and financial opportunities that would not otherwise be available to them. Yeah. Um, do you have any notion about how school boards are taken under the control of the globalists and they'll risk not being reelected and they have all the consternation with their uh, constituents what's the inducement there with school boards do you have any feel like Loudoun County for example um, I, I think that um, you know the, the curriculum is you know now being decided really at, at a national level um, and of course you have um, these corporations, typically, you know, multinationals and globalists, you know, who are inclined towards globalism, um, who would, 
um, donate campaign contributions to uh, officials, government officials, at the um, politicians, I guess, at the national, state, and local levels. So with those um, campaign contributions, you have essentially bought a government official who will then carry um, or toe the line for globalism. Um, and since the schools receive government funding, um, that agenda is then projected onto the schools. And I believe a lot of uh, teachers also are, are members of the unions, which are, tend to be heavy um, uh, fundraisers uh, for, for the Democrats. I mean, they tend to be Democratic foot soldiers. So I think that they, they do what they're, they're told. Interesting. I saw um, an election report and recommendations from the Arizona Education Association, which is a subset of the NEA. It's a state chapter, mm -hmm. and every one of the legislate—excuse me—one of the every one of the recommendations for um, election, who you should vote for, was Democratic without exception. Mm -hmm. Every position, hundred percent. Yeah, that's true. Well, I think the um, the Democrats tend tend to uh, support the teachers' unions. I think the teachers' unions you know, raise money exclusively for Democrats. Well, after they got $5 billion from the stimulus money, they should. Mm -hmm. I mean, True. that is a normal payback sequence. Um, so when we back away from what we're talking about, let's take a, a macro view for a second. We had some pretty dramatic results across the country with regard to elections. Is this just a one-shot, I'm mad deal, or is this the beginning of a movement that will pick up steam? I think we've had a movement for going on for a long time, at least since the financial or the subprime mortgage crash of, of 2008. Um, I think that gave rise to the Tea Party movement. Um, but unfortunately, uh, even though you know the, the movement is organic, um, it's often co-opted by um, by powerful forces who will profess to you know to support um, the the concerns of the people. But then once their um, their candidates get into power, they will continue things as before. So I think they tend they tend to kind of take over or take over the movement and to mobilize them, you know, for their own you know, personal um, agenda. Oh, I, I so hear. To give you a sense of that, to give you a sense of that, like the, the Koch brothers um, bankrolled the. Um, the Tea Party movement, but the Koch brothers are in business with communist China. So they can say, you know, we, you know, we uh, reject more taxes, we're in, in favor of more freedom, but the freedom comes in the form of not for, you know, freedom for you and me, but freedom for them to pursue business as they like with fewer regulations, if, you know, less oversight on, on their own practices. What is the Koch brothers' uh, business relationship with China? Um, there's one of them I, I know in um, Louisiana, uh, whereby they um, they partnered with a company I think it's called Shang Shangdong Shang Huang, um, to develop I think it's a, a methane or some type of chemical plant in Louisiana. So and that company is controlled by Communist China. So there's an um, umbrella corporation um, in which uh, under which both Coke and the other company have partnered. Um, for I think it's maybe um, methanol or some type of chemical product. 
and I'm sure there are other deals like that you know throughout the country but that was one of them well I'm from Colorado and um, one of the things I know that changed the state that I left that was largely conservative uh, to a total absolute California the Rocky Mountains is the Koch brothers <laughs> and the gang of four I don't know if you're familiar with them or not either, but uh, I know they have strong communist <laughs> Chinese uh, leanings as well and then Pat Stryker, the owner of Solyndria, and I'm sure you remember that scandal. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the Colorado people that have really moved this state in, I think, a very bad bad direction. And um, the, when we look at these players here, it, it just seems like in some way, in fashion for most of them, it goes back to their communist Chinese connections. In many cases, it, it does. And you mentioned Solyndria. Um, I believe that some of the recipients of the green uh, money for, for similar types of, of projects went to um, Oklahoma and I know also to, to Elon Musk. And um, Denver, Colorado is also the, um, the headquarters for the Council of Energy Resource Tribes and that controls over a trillion dollars of, of oil natural resources in Indian country with Indian country being controlled by the Rothschilds and the Vatican. So they've, you know, they've taken control of, of resources that should otherwise belong, you know, to we the people. Okay, so I'll, I'll let you answer this hypothetically because I don't think you know or are unaware of what I have learned. November eighth <laughs> meeting called the Legion of Doom. They've actually given it a me a, a name, and it's uh, leaders of complicit tribes that are in bed with the cartels in their gaming casinos and we know the cartels are largely controlled by the communist Chinese and they're meeting in DC and also at the scene we have placed this corrupt governor uh, of Tamsalupa um, who would be arrested by AMLO if he stepped outside his own state and he's in DC and he's the facilitator of most of the massive caravans that are crossing the border so when we look at that, what would you say, let's say you accept that at face value that it's true for the purpose of argument, what would you say is going on? What would be their objective for these groups meeting? Okay, the, it, it could, could be, you know, that they would allow Chinese troops to be placed on, on Indian reservations. Um, I can tell you that... Um, Many tribes, if not most or all, um, are controlled by illegitimate governments. They were meant to be run by tribal members, but like in the case of the Saginaw Chippewa Indian tribe, among others, um, the legitimate Indians were usurped through a coup d'etat, um, and in their place were placed um, illegitimate uh, tribal members who had ties to, uh, to to big business. And once those tribal members um, became, uh, uh, you know, uh, tribal leaders. Um, they then brought in the um, dr- drug cartels. Um, I, I have um, statements from tribal members who, who have shown that, you know, um, documented that black, tr- black planes have flown onto the reservation in the dark of night, bringing uh, cocaine onto the reservation. They've transformed what would otherwise be safe havens for Indians into criminal enterprises where uh, tribal whistleblowers are threatened, some of them are killed, um, and you have a massive drug running and criminality now rampant on on Indian reservations. And I know that uh, these tribes are working hand-in-hand with the Department of Homeland Security, 
um, they gave birth to uh, the, the Office of Strategic Services and to AIG, which works hand-in-hand -hand with the CIA. Um, so the Indian tribes um, are the mechanism through which the deep state projected itself and uh, communism into the country. In fact, um, during the administration of LBJ, uh, many Indian tribes were hotbeds of radical communism. But I think you know you're looking at a communist agenda um, being projected from the Indian tribes out into the United States at, at large. And I think as we've discussed uh, previously, um, the Rothschilds and Wall Street created communist China. And you've got the Vatican and the Rothschilds and big business essentially controlling Indian tribes. And they have this wider communist agenda uh, as a means to take over the United States and you know, to absorb all of its wealth, its natural resources, and its markets uh, with, within its own. You faded there for a second. Are you still with us? Yes, I'm still here. Okay, all right. Well, I have to ask the question, given the way things are going on here. But, okay. um, you know, gosh, I asked a question I thought I'd get a short answer to. But you, you have no, no, no. You have a plethora of information. I didn't know that that uh, this was uh, in your wheelhouse per se. When you said that they were bringing in cocaine and you had statements to that effect, uh, is that old information? And today, would it be safe to say fentanyl has replaced cocaine, um, or at least I, going alongside I, I with it? Um, I, I wouldn't be in a, a place to, you know, to, to make that um, assessment, but I, I do know that, that cocaine was flown onto Indian reservations, and this was as of 2012. Hmm. 2012. And I'm just, I, I'm not knowledgeable enough on this to know what year fentanyl deaths spiked. I just know right now we're over 100,000 for the year. And uh, they are coming in through our southern border. A lot of it's being transported in right, you know, with the immigrants. Um, that's what a lot homeland, of the, homeland and border patrol tell me. A lot of the immigrants are acquiring um, a membership in Indian tribes. That way, they can receive guaranteed uh, subsidized housing, subsidized health care, and entitlements from um, by, you know by by way of uh, per capita payments. And per capita payments are a percentage profit from tribal businesses. So that mo many of these tribal businesses are subsidized with taxpayer money. Um, you've ha you have a significant portion of that money being redirected to big business, but you also have payments that are given uh, to the tribal members in the form of a guaranteed income. So a, a number of them are receiving this. And I also know that um, when I was working with the Indian tribes, that um, illegal immigrants um, and refugees were uh, were given um, tribal membership so that they could partake in the benefits. How long has that been going on? Um, this has been going on at least since the 1960s because oh that was a point at which um, LBJ connected um, attorneys and law firms to the tribes for the for purposes of paving, uh, at least creating the, the legal structure for these immigrants to get um, tribal membership. Immigrants and, and other members of the um, uh, you know, uh, lower income communities. Is it safe to assume that at some point this becomes a conduit for the importation of Chinese military? Um, it it could be. Um, uh, I you know I, from what um, like when I when I was when I was working with Indian Country, um, 
the Department of Homeland Security and the military were working very closely, you know, with, with the Indian tribes. So if, um, you know, I, I don't see why they they could not allow uh, Chinese troops to, um, you know, to either to work or to be corralled onto the um, you know, onto Indian reservations. I think it's a possibility. Now I've seen no evidence that that is happening, but if they wanted that to happen, there would be uh, a mechanism for them to do so. And Indian tribes are sovereign nations, so you know they are allowed to do what they want on on their own land. I thought they were you know, sovereign nations to the government. point where it's a nation within a nation, and they can't violate the constitution. The constitution does not apply um, in Indian country, and a number of uh, Indian uh, tribal members have a good testament to that that the Bill of Rights don't apply to them. So you, they can't be sued unless they allow they allow themselves to be sued, so they can commit any number of injustices, and then you know or e- even default on on payments, and you can't really uh, get your money back because if they don't want to be taken to court, they can't be. On the other hand, they can sue the federal government for um, you know for reparations and settlements that go anywhere from the hundreds of millions to billions of dollars. I did some research years ago, and I'm going to say the magic year was around 2012. And um, I found it again in 2014, I believe. And and it was the pent-up value of um, underground resources, minerals, precious metals. Mm -hmm. And it totaled into the trillions. And you could wipe out the national debt in one fell swoop, but the government wouldn't allow it to be touched. And a lot of it was on native land. Uh, does that tie into what you're talking about? Uh, yes, it does. Because um, before the federally federally recognized Indian tribes were established, the Rockefellers surveyed the land and they specifically um, corralled Indian Indians onto land that were rich in oil and natural resources, so that they could build the sovereign nations around them and then mine those minerals for pennies on the dollar and then sell them at a huge markup you know to the and you know derive the, the profits therein some of the allegations i came across when i was researching this support what you just said and that this money was being taken uh, the value of the the land was being taken out by external corporations and the Correct. tribal leadership was being greased bribed but the tribe itself wasn't receiving the benefit they should have received Yes, that, that's correct. Um, they would receive pennies on the dollar. Yeah. I'm, gosh, I think I found this as early as 2007 or 2008. How long are you aware of that this has been going on with regard to this? Um, the Indian tribes were established in the around 19 in 1930s um, and I believe the um, the resources have been taken or siphoned ever since and there, there's a very strange dynamic or very self-serving dynamic that has taken place and that is that the um, the oil companies will um, take out the, they'll extract the resources for pennies on the dollar they will bribe the government officials within the Bureau of Indian Affairs and other federal agencies to turn a blind eye to that theft. Um, and then decades later, they will turn around and, and um, finance lawsuits to sue the government for their lack of oversight. And 
you know, that they have, in, in fact, um, helped perpetrate or per perpetuate. Um, they will then provide the basis for the money that the tribe should have received, but that they didn't because the, these corporations have you know, taken, taken the resources and the profits with them. Um, and these uh, settlements you know, from these lawsuits can range anywhere from the millions to hundreds of millions, even billions of dollars. That is money that is owed to the Indians. But instead of giving it to the Indians, you know, the Indians might receive pennies on the dollar. A substantial portion of that goes to the attorneys. It goes right back to the corporations who stole the money and stole the resources in the first place. So it's a very, you know, like a, 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 a cycle, uh, you know, that they've created where they, they continue to rob the taxpayer and rob the Indians, you know, through the system that they've, you know, put in place. That's amazing. What a plan. I mean, you participate in the criminality and then you sue because there was no oversight that allowed the criminality. That's incredible. That is absolutely incredible. The reason I asked you about Chinese military on, on native land and how they're doing it is because this is precisely what's happening in British Columbia. And, I, and I've, and I've, I've networked with a couple of journalists there. Uh, and and um, they are adamant that this is going on. And it's all on native land every bit of it there are war games the chinese military is playing uh the canadian military has largely abandoned the western part of canada because the chinese are so numerous the estimates of their forces could be as much as a million unbelievable and, um i i know that um that ultimately the uh, the canadian prime minister owes its allegiance allegiance to uh the british monarchy which is controlled by by the rothschilds and the vatican and that originally um, the Rockefellers uh, uh, colluded with the, um, the heads of corporations, this was in the 1970s, and uh, communist China on how they could begin the process of relocating or at least ta uh, tapping the markets of, of China and relocating um, the manufacturing base of the West, or North America, over to China. So those plans were, were set in China in the 1970s, and then they, uh, the Rockefellers connected the Chinese into, you know, the, the markets, the networks of, you know, the Americans. They connected them to our political leaders, our, our corporate leaders, and, you know, began the process of, of gradually taking over our country and our industry. So this all began in, in, in Canada. I'm going to ask you a difficult question, and it's one you may not be able to answer, and I'll accept that. But let me give you the facts and then I'm going to ask you about the, perhaps the intention or what the end result is, is the end goal. Um, the chairman of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, Jack Sellers, it's been well documented by me, by other people like the Gateway Pundit, that he is really China's best friend here in Arizona and that he is part of a group who has, and he's provided leadership in this, that has formed many sister city agreements between uh, various suburbs like Tempe, in Scottsdale and then of course Phoenix and others and um, and there's been a huge exchange of um, uh, business agreements universities are involved 75 major corporations uh, including the utilities the banks are involved in this Chinese exchange um, and, and this is happening now at a time when we have three carrier task force in the vicinity of the South China Sea in which war could break out at any minute because China gets aggressive towards Taiwan. So can you tell me 
what could be the possible motive for this individual to be so involved in this integration of Chinese both ways? Okay, I think um, that the Chinese aggression in the South Sea is really aggression against the United States. It isn't, you know, against Taiwan per se, because um, the United States since Nixon has always supported um, uh, China's claim to Taiwan, even though officially we don't, because you know we support the, you know, um, Taiwan's quest for self-determination. But I think if you're looking at um, China connecting or working with um, these cities, and then which are then connecting and forming sister city arrangements with other cities. Um, I think you're looking at plans for them to um, link those cities into um, kind of scientific or technologic, tech, uh, technocratic arrangements. So I think that's you know like to to build smart cities, um, which would you know be controlled through through AI, through algorithms, um, data usage. Um, I I think you're seeing that between um, cities in Arizona and those in Texas, among others, that they are building these arrangements. And of course, you know, you have um, uh, the universities providing the the, tech, the intellectual foundation. The, the universities are receiving money, you know, from the government. Um, I don't know if they're receiving money from China, but they, a lot of them do have relationships with China. And then you have the politicians who are politically compromised, and you know, may have some type of business with China as well, or some stake in this new, you know, the new um, very lucrative. Um, you know, technocratic arrangements that are being made. And I think by linking the cities, they probably want to kind of build networks upon which they can later kind of link uh, the entire United States. They could be building you know, maybe beta cities or test grounds that could then be ser- serve as a foundation for them to link other cities into that network. And that would include an integration of, say, a, a social credit monitoring system. Would that work under this umbrella? Um, it, it would, and the social credit score was developed by Eric Schmidt, you know, who was a former uh, president of Google. Um, and I know that Jared Kushner was um, relying upon Schmidt's advice in the White House to, you know, develop some type of uh, tracking system. So I believe, you know, that that would it, it could involve, you know, a, um, a type of Chinese credit score. And already you're you're seeing that, like if you have if if you hold the wrong opinion, you know, you could lose your bank account, for example. Or you could, you know, there, there are different penalties that you could face. And for like a bank to, to deny you a bank account on, on a, on based upon a, a publicly expressed uh, political opinion that is not politically correct, um, is something that is completely foreign to the, to you know the United States. But it is in line with, you know, the practices in communist China. How common is that here in America? Um, it appeared to have been growing in in um, frequency, I guess, during the Trump administration, I have not heard uh, of any stories since then, like under Biden. Interesting. The things that seem to have slowed down for some reason. Have you, this is really off the cuff, okay, so if you haven't heard of it, don't feel left out, okay, but um, I have pretty good information that many of the top banks, like Bank of America, Wells Fargo, are forming um, a network that is organizing towards not accepting customers who aren't eco-friendly. Do you know anything about that? I've never heard of that. It wouldn't surprise me, but I have not heard of that. It, it could be that they um, they're tr- they have an agenda, they meaning the globalists have an agenda that 
um, everybody is to be in an electrical electric car by 2030, or at least a, a certain percentage of people. So they may uh, disqualify individuals who who own a gas or a fuel-driven car in order to compel them to you know to purchase an electric car. I took it to mean zero carbon emission for businesses. And okay, like I said, be. there's not a lot of information there on this, but I took it more that way than the individual mandate for electric cars. That could be. That's um, and my source on this is pretty good. And actually, I saw something in print, but it wasn't of quality enough to say, "Hey, I can really kind of rely on this source." But um, th- this to me would be the next step to enforce whatever comes out of climate change. Well, by the way, speaking of that. I don't know if you have followed these the climate change conference or the reports on it, but it seems to me they didn't get done what they needed to get done. No, they haven't. I mean, their their agenda has has stalled for some reason, and it could be that that there is growing there's growing uh, populist awareness of of what a popular awareness of what is happening, and there's maybe a lot of pushback that they hadn't anticipated. Interesting. And I like how you use the term technocratic to describe the um, relationship between, say, the Phoenix area, Arizona corporations, and so forth in China, um, that it's technocratic. Um, Are you talking about this is the next expansion of the smart grid where you go from local to regional to state to international? Correct. Yes, I am. That makes a great deal of sense because we have a similar agreement with Europe. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. No, I'm not. Can you expound upon that, please? No, <laughs> because that's Pat Wood's oh, territory. And uh, okay. I don't know the name of it. There is a name, actually, and Pat has talked about it on my show, and I don't have my notes in front of me. But he did. He said, you know, smart meters, smart grids, same system, regulation of the use of utilities, they control what your temperature will be and so forth and so on. And gradually it becomes international and um well they eventually yeah I think they eventually that, want to have i'm sorry they eventually want to have a um a, a technocrat or, or an like ai controlling the entire world where the world will be controlled through a- algorithms hmm. robots replacing humans i'm sorry i'm just mm-hmm. daydreaming here but um, I've been reading a lot of stuff about AI, and some of it's downright frightening, um, the capabilities of AI. Susan, the time we have left, I just I, I wanted to take a second here. First of all, I need to, to say that this last segment was you know, brought to you by the best storable food company in the world. Don't let time waste. Go to preparewithdave.com, realize the great savings that are there. And also the Sat Phone Store sponsored this particular segment. And uh, Sat Phones will be working when everything else isn't. And their number is 855-980-5830. And Susan, give out your website address so people can follow your good work. we got about 15 seconds. Sure. It's uh, www.susanbradford.org. Okay. And that's uh, you've got your books there and everything else. It's great stuff, fantastic stuff. And thank you for coming on. Very, very informative. Look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, thank you very much. Dave, talk to you soon. Thank you.